Good morning and welcome to Talking Money, the answers you need, but without the sales pitch. That's that's my line, and I think it's, uh, it's very accurate because we're not, we're not selling anything, so we want to make sure you understand that. So whether you're listening live to me on WGTK, The Answer, here in the upstate of South Carolina, or you're listening on a podcast in the many places that we put this program once we get it recorded and and then shape to send it out, then uh, you listen by podcast. So if you've got a question for me, of course, you can always call me here at the station live, 877-235-9405, 877-235-9405. You can also send a text to that same number. Of course, you're listening by podcast. That's not possible. You want to go to Mike, send an email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or just go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and, and click on the Ask Mike a Question. And you can send a question that way, too. Get uh, questions nearly every week from that. Some some I put on, some I don't. It just depends on what is going on. So I'm sitting here this morning about ready to go on the air, and I said, well, something looks funny. I've got the monitors in front of me. i got all the buttons and the keyboards and all this kind of stuff. But something, I don't know, something doesn't seem right. Then I realized, oh, the microphone's not in front of me. <laughs> so the microphone was stuffed to the side. And I said, well, I guess I need that if uh, if if you're going to be able to hear me this morning. So we appreciate, do appreciate you listening and, and hope that uh, you get good information from this. Always appreciate your, your comments at the, on the website at talkingmoneyradio.com. And we do record these and put them on there so you can always, uh, go by topic and search by topic for something you may want to listen to, want to learn more about. At least you're going to get my thoughts on it anyway. And this past week, uh, we put out the Ronald Blue Trust put out their, their, uh, quarterly reports. And includes in investments, and I've got some of that I'm going to review on the economic review and outlook that we'll look at uh, and consider a little later this morning. But one of the things that uh, that we offered this time, because, because graduation, believe it or not, there are real graduations going on, high schools and, well, I guess even some kindergartens. <laughs> we, won't, we won't offer this gift for the kindergartens, but for those who are graduating from high school or especially college, so we, we have a book that the, the company is offering to give. So it's the, called Your Money Made Simple. So it's just a, an easy-to-use tool for learning just how to manage money. It's, it's not perfect, but it has a lot of good ideas in it that I think would help. Written by Russ Crossan. He's our chief missional officer who used to be the CEO at one point some years back, and he's still active with the company. Your Money Made Simple. It just shows how people how to use the define the five uses of money that we talk about quite a bit and work through their own money plan for, on a very simple basis. And I think it, it's easy to understand, easy to follow, and and there's a lot of concepts in there that people just don't know about. They're not aware of it. They've never thought about it. They've never been taught it in school. So this is a good thing to send as a gift. So if you want to send a copy of this book as a gift, we'll do it for you for free. You just need to send an email to orders. O-R-D-E-R-S, orders at ronblue.com. So if you want to send it as a gift to a child, a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, doesn't matter who it is, uh, you want to send that request to orders at ronblue.com. And what you want to put in that email is your name, of course, and the name and address of the graduate or friend or whomever it is that you want to encourage with that book. You'll put their name and address in that email. So your name and the name and addresses, names and addresses of the, the people you want to give, and then, then we'll ship it right to them. So it won't come to you. It's going to go right to the person. So this is a copy of the book, Your Money Made Simple. And we gave away some of these copies when it just came out, and it's been, I don't know, a year or so since it came out. So it's a fairly new book. But if you want to make it as a gift, free gift, uh, that's orders 
at ronblue.com, and I'll, I'll mention it again later in the in the program today. Include your name and the name and address of the graduate that you want to encourage with the book, and we'll ship it right to them. All right, so uh, this week was um, a little um, momentous in the sense that um, Bernie Madoff, who was the architect of some huge fraud, uh, back some years ago, we're going back to, to 2008 when, of course, it was a whole lot of other things shocking the world then. We didn't need something else to shock the world, but Bernie Madoff shocked the world then. So, of course, he was this, he was 82 when he died this week, and he was the one-time chairman of the NASDAQ stock market, and he even helped develop some of the automated training, uh, trading that they did. So he was very well-respected, smart guy, and so forth. So the initially they reported that there was about $65 billion that had been wiped out. But they it became clear that they said that it was all only on paper. Uh, now, then they estimated, ultimately the court said that uh, Mr. Madoff, uh, and I like to call him Madoff because he made off with a bunch of money, uh, took $17 billion of customer money through this particular scheme that, that he had set up. And he was the architect of that scheme. And, and eventually got some of his family members in there. And it didn't end up well for a lot of them. So he had chronic kidney failure. That's why he died. So this report in the Wall Street Journal this week talked about as he enticed victims with an air of exclusivity, luring investors to plunk down huge sums by threatening to turn them away. Mr. Madoff let it be known that he wouldn't be bothered with clients who couldn't invest enough. He was famously secretive about his methods, adding to the allure and allowing him to escape detection. So is this this idea of, okay, not, I don't want to fool with you and, and more Sometimes you tell people, no, you can't do it. They want to do it. So they want to get in involved in that. So in his case, it was very much a facade, and he was just trying to use that as a, as a way to, in, uh, to entice people to come. So his wealthy and well-known clients, well, the journal says, include members of the Wilpon family at the time, the owners of the New York Mets, the late Eli Weissel, the Holocaust survivor and Nobel laureate, Banks, hedge funds, and charities, and thousands of elderly retirees. Victims crowded into his 2009 sentencing hearing. So his fraudulent investment advisory business, where he falsely claimed to beat the market with his what he called the split strike conversion strategy. It's helped fund, of course, a life of luxury for himself and his sons as Andrew and Mark. And the family acquired homes in Manhattan, the Hamptons, and Palm Beach, multi-million dollar yacht, country club memberships, and shares in private jets. So and all that, of course, made him look even more successful, and and people thought, okay, this guy must be really he must know something that no one else knows. So I'm going to put my money with him because he he's just doing it. And from what I recall, he was he was uh, advertising that he could make essentially one percent a month, no matter what the market was doing. He's going to make you one percent a month. So it wasn't like he was he was touting twenty five percent, thirty percent, fifty percent returns. It was just one percent a month, but it was no matter what was happening, and so people thought, "Well, okay, this is this is good." Interesting on the article, he says later he would lay some of the blame on his investors, saying they had enough warning signs to catch on. <laughs> Isn't that something? So, it wasn't my fault. You guys, you guys should have been smart enough to see that I was scamming you. So, of course, his sons worked for him. Uh, they, they were the nineteenth floor of the Manhattan's Lipstick Building, um, the two floors above the center of the fraud. It was to them, it was them to whom he confessed and they who reported him to authorities. So he had this, this room that he would go into and only a few people had access to this room. 
and they were the the ones that were helping do the scheme. And apparently, most of the other firm had no idea what he was doing. He was doing it behind the scenes. So Mark uh, Madoff, uh, one of his sons, hanged himself by a dong leash in 2010 on the second anniversary of the scheme's uh, revelation. Andrew uh, Madoff died of cancer in 2014. So it didn't end well for the, the kids well uh, either. So he says it isn't clear when Mr. Madoff turned to crime. His federal prosecutor said his fraudulent activity began in the 1970s. So he was scamming people for a long time, and he was smart enough to get away with it for a long time. But his sins finally came to, to get him. Uh, so meanwhile, it says inside the Madoff Investment Advisory offices on the 17th floor, only a few trusted employees had, had access with a key card. He told them to create phony trades to be included on account statements giving higher returns to favored investors. Prosecutors have said employees once put a new fake document in a refrigerator to cool it after it came off the printer and threw it around like a medicine ball to make it look old before turning it over to an auditor. I mean, these are the kind of things that they were doing. Just And that's why the SEC, because he was so respected, the SEC just didn't catch on. Even though there were numbers of people who reported him, they just never caught it. They, they, I don't think they dug deep enough. And it's, and unfortunately, after this episode and this scam, the SEC came up with all kind of new regulations to protect against things like that happening. So they're, they're great about coming up with regulations after something happens, after somebody got caught. And so then they penalize all the honest people and have them do all these other things. Because uh, to, to, and that's where they're they're putting all these uh, criteria and checks and balances in place to protect the consumer against the honest advisor. <laughs> it's like, okay, because they never catch the bad guy. They don't they don't catch that until they get your money. Uh, they said that the this SEC's failure to discover Mr. Madoff's fraud revealed the the agency in the minds of many as an ineffectual guardian of the markets. Well, no kidding. When when you had all those things going on, how come they didn't catch that? Uh, well before it all happened. So I think it's a it's a great reminder for for me to to share with you the listeners be so careful when you're talking to an investment advisor, we're talking to someone who uh gives you numbers that just seem unreal. How how is it that you're doing those numbers? Uh matter of fact when people have asked me over the years, well what what kind of performance can you expect us to get over the years? I mean I'll be frank with you and say I have no idea. It really depends on what the market does. Now, I can tell you what's happened in the past, uh, but, but to tell you and almost imply that you're, you're going to replay, replicate that going forward, I think is is uh, just wrong. It's just misleading, and advisors shouldn't do that. And I know there's a lot of investment people who will sell their services by pulling out the returns of certain funds that they're telling the prospect that they're going to put their money in and it doesn't matter, and the, and the prospect never asks, well, you had this kind of return over the last 10 years. Did you actually put any of your clients in this investment 10 years ago, or did you just pick out this investment because you saw that it had a good 10-year 10, 10 record, and you could say, okay, I'm going to put you in this, implying that it's going to repeat itself over the next 10 years. It happens all the time where people are selling their services based on past performance now granted you want to know how somebody did you want to know if they're reasonable if they're competitive but you really want to be more comfortable with their process how do they do it and uh, are they going way off the wall doing something are they doing something legitimate that that is not trying to entice you based on returns 
because that's not something we do. We, uh, we, we, we feel like we're very competitive and, and we want to make sure we help you reach your goals. Uh, but the, the last thing you want is your financial advisor to show up on the newspaper, especially for things like Bernie Madoff was, was, um, found out doing. All right. So we're going to talk about the, the economy, the markets and talk a little bit about what has changed since the first of the year come a rotation in leadership. Uh, when we get back, we'll be right back. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, Director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. It's coming up at about 22 after the hour. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. You can always uh, catch this program live or go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com at a later time. For those who are listening, I know there's many who listen to it regularly as a podcast and a recording for later, which is great. So we've had some interesting questions. So this past week, I was with a gentleman that uh, one of the first questions he asked me, he knew about the radio show, he knew what I did. He's not a client, but he asked me the question, so what do you think, Mike, is uh, is the market going to continue to go up like it has? What's going to happen? And I just was real quick to tell him, no, absolutely not. Now, when is it going to take a breather? When is it going to go down? How far will it go down? How long will it stay down? We don't know. But one thing that you listeners have to understand, anybody that's investing in equities, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens, because it always happens. We just don't know when. We had it a year ago when it went down in March. So we went down, of course, we had different things going on then, but still, we had a big downturn. But everything came back up. So we don't, it may not happen that way again next time. We don't know that. Another thing I mentioned to him is that in general, so we talk about in one of the articles that the um, company put out, Run Blue Trust put out this week, one of the articles is entitled, Are We in a Bubble? And we're going to review some of the information that's in that article in just a minute. But when you think of something that you might um, have a bubble, but you might have two things you're holding at the same time. You you know, when you push one, the other bubble goes up. You push the other, it goes down. The other bubble goes up. So you're getting a little bit of a rotation in leadership, and especially year-to-date. So the there are broad definitions of some stocks and type of equities, we call them either a growth stock or you call them a value stock. And there's different definitions. We've talked about this before on Talking Money. But there's different types of criteria that goes into each of those stocks. 
So in generally, the growth type companies are are typically higher priced. They're higher priced earnings ratio, but they're on fire. So they have a lot of growth potential so they can go even higher, even though their price earnings ratios may be through the roof even sometimes. The value stocks typically are not. So a bank stock typically is a value stock where you, you're not going to have high price to earnings ratios. They're going to be valued and priced uh, less expensively than them. Uh, but they typically don't have as much threat of a downturn. There's not as much downside risk in those types of stocks. So and over time, uh, and that's that's changing some lately. Because growth stocks have done well for several years now. But over longer term time periods, value stocks have tended to outperform growth stocks. Uh, and like I said, that's getting closer to even. I need to look at those statistics again to see how close they're coming now. Uh, but you've had that last year where growth stocks went up. So our firm, as a general rule, leans toward and has the we have the portfolio skewed more towards smaller companies and value stocks. Well, it was larger growth companies that did well. So we're going to underperform typically a, a portfolio that's more skewed toward larger growth. But then there's more risk, I think, in those kind of portfolios. Since the first of the year, that's, there's been a flip. So people ask all the time, well, are we in a bubble? Are we, are stocks way overpriced? We've well, got to keep in mind that an index may continue to go up, but it may go up for a different reason. So you might have the growth stocks that were on average doing well last year that kept the whole index looking good, even though the value stocks may not have been. They've been underperforming. Well, this year, with some of those stocks taking some pretty good hits even, the value stocks have started to outperform, and they're doing well. So the index average can still look good, but it's for different reasons. Different companies are 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 the ones performing well. So if we just look at some indexes, looking at the large companies, so the Russell 1000 Growth Index, since the first of the year, is up 8.48. Well, for a year, it's up 60% still. Now, Granted, we're looking at from 415. So if you look at a year ago, that's when the market was down to a, a low point. So it's not like people made that much money unless you invested it all. And we did invest some clients' money at the low points there. We got lucky on some of those. Uh, we just felt like it was a good time to get in uh, some money. Even had one new client that had been really wanting to come in to see us for a long time. When it went, he was, but he was always nervous about the market. And when it went down so much, he said, hey, Mike, I want to I want to start now. Let's go and jump in. We jumped in and did well. For that, but that's that's an anomaly. But when you have, um, and so if you invested all your money, then yeah, you got sixty percent growth. Value for the last one year is up fifty one and a half. But since the first of the year, value stocks are up fourteen and a half, and growth stocks are up eight point four eight. Now both of those, most people would take. Yeah, I'll take both of those returns. But it shows you the the divergence in and the dispersion in some of those types of stocks. So mid value. We'll get a little interesting here. Mid-value year-to-date is up 16.82. Mid-growth is up 6. So it's it's up less than large growth, but mid-value is up more than large value. Let's go down to small growth. Small growth up 6.82. So it's a little better than mid-growth, but still under large growth. Mid or small value is up nearly 23%. Year-to-date, 23%. Up 97, almost 98% for the last year. And that's just an index. That's not the managers. That's an index. So some managers do better. Some managers have done have done worse. But you see the difference if you're skewed toward smaller companies like mid-value and mid-growth, then you're going to be outperforming this year. But that that's why you stay diversified because you don't know when that rotation is going to happen. 
and necessarily which stocks are going to be the ones that start taking leadership. Emerging markets are up four, four and a third or so year to date, um, up about 55% for the last year. S&P 500, if you want comparison, up 11.52 since the first year. This is as of the 15th, so Friday, Friday's numbers, not through yesterday's numbers. Uh, so 11.52, so as you can see, if large growth is up 8.48, large value is up 14.54. If you're just in the S&P 500 index, 500 index, you're going to get a blend of those two. And that's why the 11.52 is, is kind of in between the two. So that's not a bad place to at least have some of your money, not but not all of it. Now, bonds are a different story. Bonds have had some struggle this year. The Barclays U.S. aggregate is down two and a third. Uh, and uh, only up 0.17 for the last year. So as interest rates have started going back up, you've had some issues with bonds. They're struggling. Now, one of the managers I picked out there, only down 1.48 instead of 2.35 year-to-date and up 5.6. So a, a good manager, sometimes even in bonds, can help perform and help uh, mitigate some risk there that, that you don't have otherwise. Okay, so uh, we've got about a minute. We get back to the break. We're going to talk about, you know, are we in a bubble and really what makes up a bubble? Why Why did even the, the prices, why is it the market's even doing well so far when we think, even when we think of the things that, that President Biden is doing that long term are certainly not business friendly, why, why are prices still going up? So um, what are some bubbles that we've had through history and so forth? We want to cover all those things uh, when we get back to the second half of Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or one 800 Five eight eight seven five two six. That's one eight hundred five eight eight seven five two six. Now back to talking money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We'd love to have you make that phone call eight hundred five eight eight seven five two six, and just a simple inquiry. So this is uh, not a phone call that is going to be intimidating. It's a phone call that's just going to be more of a discovery phone call. You just call and, and I'll spend a few minutes with you just finding a little bit more about your situation, a little bit more about your family, where, how you've gotten to where you are today, where you want to go, and we'll determine in that uh, relatively short phone call if it looks like we may be able to help. If so, then we'll plan on trying to get together either in person or virtually and to talk some more, maybe meet you and your spouse and just determine whether or not it's a good fit. So we... We spend uh, quite a bit of time with uh, prospective clients trying to, to determine if we think we can help, if, if what we do is going to be value-added, because we certainly don't want to charge fees to somebody that, if it, we don't think it's going to 
add value to their situation. So we spend a fair amount of time uh, with you as a prospective client. And then before before you ever sign any kind of dotted line, before you ever commit to anything, calling does not commit. Calling the second time does not commit. Uh, we've had, matter of fact, just recently, we've had a couple people that uh, contacted me uh, some years ago that have just reconnected and said, okay, it's time. Now we're going to do that. Uh, I think three have done that. So one was five years ago. One I've talked to off and on for probably 10 years. Uh, she's now a widow and is, is going to be coming in soon. And so, and so we have those kind of conversations, uh, fairly frequently, but it's not something that we're there trying to, to sell you, push you in the door and certainly don't want to make you feel obligated once you come in that, oh boy, I come in, I've taken their time. So I, I've got to become a client or I've got to at least be somewhat serious about becoming a client before I even talk to them. No, that's the, the whole purpose of the discovery part of our interviews is to determine whether or not we think we might be a good fit for you. We're just, and, and people don't always believe this or maybe understand this, but we we are definitely as interested in finding out if you're a good fit for us at Ronald Blue Trust as you are to find out if Ronald Blue Trust is a good fit for you. It really is that way. And so please don't feel intimidated. It's, it's almost like you talking to me. People call me on the phone and say, ah, you sound just like you did on the radio. Well, that's uh, that's my voice, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to sound the same. This is not they don't electronically alter my voice on the radio to make me sound different. So uh, you know, it'll sound the same. It's just me. I'm very easy to talk to. So just give me a call eight hundred five eight eight seven five two six next week, or if you want to call this week and leave me a voicemail, that's fine. Or you can always send me a note through the website Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Be happy to have that discussion with you. So our um, investment strategy group put out a piece this week, Economic Review and Outlook. It's our second quarter outlook for 2021. And the head of the, the lead article says, are we in a bubble? So a lot of well-known investors, a lot of people, of course, a lot of the press are putting out that they're calling this a bubble. So we're wondering, are, are those pundits right or, or what should we do next? And so we spend the time going through this. This particular piece has been sent out to clients been sent out to a lot of other uh, people that we network with that are turn, tax attorneys and CPAs and so forth that get these as well. Um, and we'd be glad to send it to you. If you don't get that, if you want the economic review, you would send that email directly to me at mike at talkingmoneyradio.com and Tracy can send you a link, an electronic version of this economic review that I'm about to review right now. But he, and we'd be happy to send that to you. But the, the, the lead article, lead section, split government, happy market. So the government typically, the, the economy, the, the markets typically like it when there's a split government. Now it's not as split as the market should like, uh, with the Senate only being 50-50 and also with, uh, Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker, it's really leaning more toward them on any kind of close call that might be there. But it's still divided, uh, for large scale policy changes. It's going to be harder for them to get those through. I guess that's why, uh, President Biden is doing all these executive orders and trying to, to bypass Congress. Uh, even the storming of the Capitol, when that happened back in, on January 6th, investors seemed to shrug that off and just, um, the markets even recorded new highs then. The relief packages, I think, are some of the biggest deals and why some of the market, uh, has been going upward. Because you've got that extra stimulus coming in the economy, which can only help the, the, the stock market and the companies that that represents. 
But now will that happen, will that help long term? Now there's other ramifications, other negative things that can happen down the road from the extra debt and so forth. We'll hit on some of those things a little later if we have time. Um, but it's still, it's it, right now it's a stimulus and there's a lot of pent up demand. There's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines from people. People have not been traveling. So there's a lot of cash that's sitting aside because of that. And as things start to loosen up, then you're going to have people starting to spend that money. And that's where some of the potential inflation uh, might raise its ugly head uh, down the road somewhere. So the article talks about the vaccines and how that's, that there's more of an expectation for a, a speedy recovery. Uh, let's see, hospitalizations, everything's trending lower, it says. Uh, the massive stimulus, the, of course, inflation, high equity valuations, which I talked about a little bit before the break. That's when people start thinking about that. Okay, things are really going high. So what should we do? So investors, that says, starting to worry about the potential for rising rates, which can weigh on stock valuations and contribute to notable market pullbacks in highly valued areas of the market, especially heavy technology NASDAQ composite. So you've got certain sectors that are more affected by the inflation and so forth. But as a general rule, inflation means that the companies are charging more, typically means they're growing more then, and they use that inflation, which makes stocks longer term a pretty good hedge against inflation. There again, it depends on why inflation is going up. If it's going up because we have large growth, and if interest rates are going up because growth is good, uh, that's a, a different story. If inflation is going up not for those reasons, and the Fed has to put some brakes on interest rates, that's when you have some of the difficulties in the market, and that's where we come back to our basic philosophy at, at Ronald Wood Trust of, of the right kind, effective, what I call effective diversification. So the, the next part of the article talks about despite some volatility, equities broadly advanced, as we know, as I just mentioned to you, uh, quarterly stock returns were positive, um, outpacing uh, U.S., outpaced international and emerging markets. Commodities were among the best performers, not counting gold. So gold was down 9.8% first quarter, and bonds were down 3.4% uh, on the index for this quarter, not necessarily the managers, but those indexes. And that's because uh, as we have accelerated economic growth expectation, that tends to, to weigh on some of those asset classes that count on on the negative side of things to do well. So bonds tend to do better when people buy the bonds for safety. So the bonds do better. Interest rates start going up. Well, that makes the bonds worth less that you have. Not worthless, worth less than you have new bonds because the new bonds that they're issuing are at a higher rate. So, of course, it makes your current bond not worth as much. But if you hold on to it, generally it uh, recoups and you're going to be fine at some point down the down the road. But commodities in general rose more than 13%. Now, the, the, that's mainly because of oil prices uh, going back up. So now as the COVID-19 restrictions are, uh, are being set aside, people are traveling more, we're using more energy, stock prices are starting to go up. I think the Keystone Pipeline, my personal belief, Keystone Pipeline, having that uh, shut down uh, has a at, at least a an emotional negative effect, even if it didn't have as big of an actual effect, it still is that thought, okay, that's one of our supplies down the road. How is that going to affect what we're doing? And is that going to be a problem with us having to buy more oil overseas or just because the supply is not going to be as high? 
or it's not going to be as inexpensive to get because we got to get that same supply by rail or by trucks then what's happening there and how does how does that affect the price of oil because it just costs more and it's actually less environmentally friendly for those who <laughs> the the pipeline is going to be more environmentally friendly than having the rail or the trucks send it on if you if you're worried about global warming and you don't like oil at all at least let's get it the oil as efficiently as as possible that's a that's a discussion for a different day so the the next page talks about uh, what is a bubble so in short they say bubbles tend to occur when higher prices actually increase demand for the asset fueled by speculation that the prices will continue to rise so anybody so you got an apple you got one of these stocks that just keeps on going up and i remember even more distinctly back in 98 99 when some of those technology companies were just going through the roof and they had price earnings ratios of 250 and and those kind of outlandish numbers like it can't continue that way forever but as long as people keep buying it then it can go up for a period of time until finally it hits and then when there's some kind of panic that goes on then that drop can be not so um not so friendly and not so easy to take so he says bubbles often form during periods of historically low interest rates as the search for returns pushes stock prices higher because if your stock prices are the dividends on those are giving you more than the interest would be on a bond, then that can help stocks. Uh, investors, often driven by the fear of missing out, pile into the stocks and prices can reach illogical levels. So that's one of the fears we talk about, fears of missing out. And then and that's when you've got to decide yourself which fear is the the most um important to you, what would, which one would affect you the most. Then Then it says eventually the bubble pops often with a wave of panic and a rush to sell. And that's uh, and that's when things happen. And even when, like right now, value stocks starting the rotation to do better, uh, even when a bubble bursts on the technology side, that can bleed over into the, the whole market and everything can come down, even though they are not in a bubble. Just, they're just kind of a, a panic. People start thinking, I want to get out before it goes down as much as it's going to go down. Even though we keep telling you, yes, it's going to go down sometime, but it's always come back up. We don't know that it always will. It always has, and that's all we know. So we're going to talk a little bit about the bubbles, that some of the bubbles that have started throughout history and what's uh, happened, and not necessarily with the stock market. I think some interesting ones that we talk about in this newsletter. We'll be back with the last segment of Talking Money in just a couple of minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I'm pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance and as a fiduciary work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your state attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. 7526. Now back to Talking Money. 
And if you didn't catch the announcement at the beginning of Talking Money, we have a little giveaway here that Ronald Blue Trust has offered in this last uh, quarterly newsletter in the, the email heading that uh, goes along with that. The book, Your Money Made Simple, is an offer for graduates. So if you have, and I think even if it's not a graduate, you think it's somebody that just needs some basic uh, information about how to handle money and maybe just to get some better understanding of money. Uh, if you have a graduate, of course, a child, a grandchild, a friend, neighbor, something you want to, to really equip with some, a, a fairly easy-to-use tool, I think, for learning. As I mentioned earlier, it's not perfect, but I think it has uh, a lot of good information in it then you'll want to get this book, Your Money Made Simple. So Ronald Trust is offering to give free to anyone that you may want to give this to. You just have to send an email to orders, O-R-D-E-R-S, orders at ronblue.com, and include in that email your name, the name and address of the graduate you or graduates, that you would like to send this book to, and Ronald Blue Trust will send that to them for free. So all you need to do is, is send an email to orders at ronblue.com and put your name on it and then the name and address of the graduate because they'll put your name, I'm sure this is a gift from you, uh, to this graduate or someone else that you think needs that money. So orders at ronblue.com, your name and the name and address of the graduate you want to give that to, and they will ship that right out to them free of charge. All right, so we're talking about bubble. Are we in a bubble or not a bubble? So there's been some bubbles throughout history. So the the this report that Ronald Blue Trust Investment uh, Strategy Group put out, the Economic Review and Growth Outlook uh, that or uh, yeah, in, uh, in stock outlook talks about some bubbles throughout history. So the first we mentioned the first they say happened in the 1630s in the Netherlands with tulip bulbs. So the tulip bulbs apparently got way overpriced, and then the market collapsed in 1637. Seven years later, prices fell 90%. And then we have the South Sea bubble struck Great Britain less than a century later. Well, this is like almost 100 years later it happened. The South Sea Company, which is a monopoly on British trade, and there was a lot of people that got into that. There's even uh, the talk of Sir Isaac Newton, who got into that particular uh, bubble, in the smartest, you know, maybe the, at the time, the smartest guy in the world, and he got in, got out at a good time, thought, okay, because he thought that was a bubble, then he got back in just for the bubble burst. So not everybody knows how to, no one really knows uh, on those bubbles when they're coming up. People get lucky getting in and out, but we really, really don't know when that's going to happen. So more uh, notable bubbles in recent decades, you got the dot-com bubble burst, and many listening here uh, are going to remember that in the back in the late 90s, right before the infamous Y2K. You know, we had all these run-ups of technology stocks, and a lot of it was because people were buying and upgrading their computer equipment in order to make sure that, it, that Y2K didn't happen. And as I've, as I've told before, but it's been years ago, my wife and I and our kids, we all went downtown uh, on December 31st, 1999, ra- waiting for the big event of 1-2-K because we thought we'd go downtown Greenville. We went down below the Church Street Bridge. We climbed up the steps and went up to the side of the, wall, the, of the Church Street Bridge thinking, okay, what a what a great place to see all the lights go out at once. We'd be downtown, and we'd see all these lights go out at once. 
how disappointing. <laughs> nothing, nothing went out. It was like, oh, what a bummer. All this hype about this and nothing happened. And we actually had some people that called me, some, some spouses. I know at least one I remember called me because their, their spouse, their husband was spending all their money maximizing all their credit cards at the time to buy generators and buy property outside of town and, and really get ready for the, the ultimate catastrophe with this uh, Y2K, which never happened. So he was not using good biblical principles of not going into debt to do that and, and trusting on, on God to take care of him. So we had that dot-com bubble burst when, and that was another one of those times when the large growth stocks, including technology stocks, went down. Value stocks actually were, were mostly down in 99. And so a lot of the portfolios, ours included, look like, well, you guys aren't doing as well as you should. We had large growth. We had a good balance. So we had good returns, but not like some of those those dot-com and growth stocks had. Well, we were vindicated the very next year when, when those stocks started to tank and the value stocks and some of them, uh, small cap value and real estate investment trust, some of those were actually positive the next year. So we were vindicated then. But it, I think just another reminder of good diversification and how that helps. So, of course, the last major bubble that we all remember was in the Great Recession, which now is like uh, coming up on 13 years ago. Seems so hard. And it started with a housing bubble, and which was somewhere in the 2006 range. And when prices fell in 2006, then you had defaults starting happening, and it took till 2008 for it to f- really fully start uh, affecting everyone. Um, so, so why this could be a bubble, we ask? Well, there are certainly some bubbly signs out there. The trailing 12-month price-to-earnings ratio reached levels not seen since the height of the dot-com bubble. While this trend looks concerning, the article says, it's important to note that trailing earnings currently reflect COVID-19 lockdowns, and many expect earnings to start catching up with price over the next year. So even so, it's hard to deny that the U.S. stock look quite expensive from this standpoint. But going back to my personal comments earlier and some of the other things that even Ronald Trust has put out and some other articles I've been reading the Wall Street Journal about that, when you, you need, when you have that change of leadership that some of the value stocks aren't nearly overpriced like some of the growth stocks. So they've seen a broad shift toward more concentrated investing. The handful of tech giants that led the market through much of the pandemic rose to constitute nearly 25% of the S&P 500's market cap which is one of the, the dangers with the S&P 500 uh, in market cap weighted. So certain companies start making up a larger portion of the index and and hence more of the return. So it, it can be a riskier investment than a total stock market type investment. Uh, then there's cryptocurrency. Talks about cryptocurrency. The trading volume shot up during the quarter this past quarter, reaching nearly three trillion, while Bitcoin touched record highs, nearly sixty thousand, from about eight thousand in March 2020. So that's a pretty big increase in a year, and at least temporarily surpassed a market cap of one trillion. Prior to hitting twenty thousand in late 2020, Bitcoin last flirted with that barrier in 2017 before falling to just above 3,000 in approximately 12 months. So I think there's still a lot of risk in that that um, Bitcoin area. So why is this may not be a bubble? Strong returns for a year or a decade don't necessarily point to a bubble. So market trends up over time. It always has, and we don't know if it always will, but it has. It trends up over time. And that's why I think it's you got to be so careful how much you you bow to the scare tactics of the annuity salespeople thinking, wow, you got to watch out for the few years that it goes down. You're going to, you're going to have a lot of upside limitations and a lot of expense to get, 
that and be locked into it for a long time with the guaranteed losses because of the surrender charges, be very careful with that. So he says, as we consider the current environment of rising growth expectations, along with stimulus fiscal policy, that's the, that's the, um, all the, the, um, uh, fiscal stimulus that the government's putting in. You can make a case that expensive equity prices could be justified. An alternative way to gauge the attractiveness of equity markets is to contrast them with bonds. So bonds, equity markets can be expensive in absolute terms, but cheap compared to bonds. The caveat here, they say, is, or we say, is that equities tend to have far more downside risk in the event of a market correction. And that's certainly the case as well. So another truth about bubbles is there's there's always a crowd arguing that this time is different. Bubbles are most prevalent when nobody sees them coming, when optimism dominates to the point that markets become overly frothy. But broadly speaking, the media and prominent prognosticators seem worried. And so and and I would um echo that with people that talk to me. I've got more people telling me and saying that while well, I'm concerned about the stock market, and the more people that do that really the less of a chance that you typically have a bubble in a market. So I think we have some bubbles in the market, uh, but not necessarily a, a whole bubble. Does that mean that it's not going to go down? No, it never means that. As I mentioned earlier, you can always have a a trend, and you're going to have people that jump on that bandwagon that, that once things start to go down, they start just selling all their stocks because they don't uh, want to be caught in having any stocks when things go down. All right, well, that's a lot of information. If you want a copy of that, of this report, which has even more than what I was able to go with uh, today, you send me an email, mike at talkingmoneyradio.com, and just ask for the economic report, and uh, Tracy will get that out to you. Just send, of course, by email. We'll send you an electronic copy of the full report so you can get all the information that our team, the Ronald Blue Trust, uh, the investment strategy group has put together. And, and bottom line, well-balanced portfolios and diversified is the best way to, to move going forward and stay out of debt. All right. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll uh, have more of Talking Money. Have a great weekend. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.